It's Wednesday, June 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool Options and Stock Advisor Canada. Back again from the Great White North, Mr. Jim Gillies. I'd like to say new and improved, but probably not. Uh, well, the beard is new. The beard is new. That's true. Bill, would you call the... Would I call his beard new? No, would you call it an improvement? (laughs) Your silence (laughs) silence speaks volumes. I don't don't know. I I mean, you feel more lumberjacky. It might be the checkered shirt. It's the checkered shirt. And the beard. Yeah. I mean, but you you could go crazier with the beard to go full on lumberjack, right? Not that we know much about them down here. Uh, not that I know much about them up there, so I don't think summertime isn't that is... the main like employment. Not in, in Toronto, <laughs> lumberjacking. No, it's probably a pretty big industry. No, the main employment's Tim Tim Hortons is the main employment. Tim, <laughs> we're not going to talk Tim Hortons. <laughs> we are going to talk about net neutrality and that evolving landscape. And we are going to start, however, with Pandora. And as I've said before, when Uncle Sam comes knocking on your business's front door. It's not so he can give you candy and flowers. And that's kind of what's at play. Uh, Not that Uncle Sam is knocking on Pandora's front door yet. Uh, That said, the antitrust division of the U.S. Department of Justice is formally reviewing songwriter rate agreements. Uh, The current ones were put in place decades ago. And long story short, Jim, Pandora shares down this morning because it is entirely plausible that the review will end up with uh, basically songwriters getting a higher cut, Pandora paying even more, and for people who are waiting, shareholders like you, you're a shareholder. I am sadly a shareholder. Uh, uh, Shareholders like you who are waiting for Pandora to just be wildly profitable, you're now a couple steps further removed from that. And there was already some speculation as to whether Pandora would ever be profitable enough to justify its uh, premium valuation. Sure. I mean, you never like to to think your cost structure is going to go up. Um, will my question? I uh, and, and problem is Pandora was it was originally available in Canada and it was cut off a number of years ago because of various agreements they could form with certain songwriters and what have you. I would like to see them come in and like. And I, I think what you're probably going to have to do is you're going to have to try to convince everyone who is currently uh, using the free model, which is, uh, from what I understand, down here very popular. Not a lot of people pay for Pandora. I think you have to get people to, you know, transition more to the the, the satellite radio model, and everyone's going to have to pay for it. And the question is, how many people, if you, I don't know if you're a free user, but would you pay $10 a month or $20 a month for it? I'm not a Pandora user. Not is at all. My, my teenage daughter is. She's not paying ten dollars a month if, for if this. If you're a well, you'll be paying ten dollars a month. Um, but if you're, I <laughs> no, mean, if you're no, a, <laughs> if you're a music nerd, and I'm a bit of a music nerd, um, you know, the Pandora, the engine that drives it, which is the uh, hey, you like this artist? Well, here are four more that have kind of overtone similarities, and here are four more for each of those, and it kind of spreads out. Is it's very attractive to a music nerd? How many music nerds are there, and how many music nerds willing to pay twenty bucks a month? I would happily pay twenty bucks a month for Pandora if they were available where I am. But you know, I think a lot of people, if you're a free user and you know, going on the ad model, they come to you and say, "We're well, gonna pay some more." They're just gonna say, oh, "I've got Spotify, I've got any number of other things I can use." I hear Apple just bought Beats; they've got a music streaming service. So that that's the thing. That's one. That's big fear. Well, yeah, and and once again, Bill, another industry where consumers have a lot of choice. Yeah, and 
I will say I, I am a free Pandora user, and user. I think that in the uh, th- there's a lot of uh, internet users who believe that they should get something for free indefinitely, and th- so that's a problem, right? And there are other music services that you can use where you can get things for free, and so the costs going up for Pandora. Uh, are a problem because you know the ads are, are probably not going to be as good uh, a source of revenue as subscriptions uh, could be. Uh, I I would be hopeful that they can continue to get people to pay up uh, the belief that you're entitled to everything free forever on the internet. I think erodes over time as people uh, become more and more accustomed to paying a little bit here and there for the things they like best. Uh, Pandora's got a lot of oil fans and you know it it is a problem when your costs go up with no you know nothing on the other side right uh so they're they're going to have to find that money one way or another i I think that they've got enough users that the you know this happening today is not as big a problem and and today nothing has, has happened right the department of justice is looking into things so we're talking about you know negotiated outcome, perhaps, uh, but or or who has got the most money to lobby them? Also uh, coming out today, Pandora released its final monthly metrics report. Seventy-seven million active listeners for the month of May. That's up from just under seventy-one million a year ago. So they are growing. Um, and I'm not a shareholder. I like the fact. I I applaud Pandora for saying we're. Th- this is the last month we're doing this. We're not going to be giving out these monthly numbers anymore because there's there's, I, I you know there's no real upside for them. Is there? Update me every quarter. You know when you do your quarterly earnings release, it's just more. Uh, the more frequently you update something, I think the uh, the decline of signal to, signal to noise, if you will, go. Uh, I don't really care. Update me every quarter or even even annually, but as long as you're growing, as long as that demonstrates it in the revenue uh, the revenue line and eventually the profits line. I don't know if uh, you know. I don't know if if you want to. Um, what the more important thing is, you know, in terms of uh, they will, it will either manifest itself in the financial performance or it won't. And that's where I want to pay attention. Yeah, it's not an uncommon thing when your uh, growth slows to stop highlighting how fast it's growing. Right. right? Well, and, and, and when <laughs> you're they saying were, that's a very were, cynical take. You're though. saying if they were growing by leaps and bounds, they'd still be doing yeah. it. Uh, don't you? Don't you think that? I mean, not having followed it closely, <laughs> if if they if they were still growing at you know twenty percent a month, you know, you go far enough back. Well, how many people it, are there in North America or in, in America who can uh, right? You be can't subscribers. Keep, you right can't now. keep growing at that yeah. rate forever. So it 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 starts becoming a number which, even if useful and telling a, a story, appears to be bad because the the growth rate can't be what it used to be. That, that's just the law of large numbers. And mm. the law of large numbers comes with the corollary of the law of less frequent reporting on those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> the Bill Biker corollary. <laughs> um, I, I do think this will continue to be a very interesting space to watch for investors because when I think about – I mean, Bill, you and I were talking the other day about uh, satellite radio – um, and I said the main reason I'm not a subscriber of satellite radio is I don't have any kind of significant commute. If I had the commute that you do and I was spending that much time in my car, I probably would pay. It would be worth it for me to pay 12 bucks a month or whatever it costs for Sirius XM. Um, I just don't have that kind of commute. Um, but I do think that when you look at 
you know, Apple Beats and their streaming service, Spotify, Pandora, and SiriusXM, and all of these companies that, among other things, are really trying to win the – and, oh, by the way, terrestrial radio stations that are still trying to hang on to the car – and win the battle for your car. I, I think the landscape in in as little as three years could look very different than it does right now. Uh, yeah, I think that that that's possible uh, because it is still uh, a place where things change uh, fairly fairly rapidly. But you know, Pandora is not that different from what it was three years ago. Sirius XM not that different from what it was three years ago. Uh, you know, we're out of the hyper growth days and, uh, you know, I suppose Apple, boy, the rumors that Apple is going to take over the streaming music space. Uh, where do those date back to? Those are also not much different than they were three years ago. Right. I mean, right. they're and, and, and still it makes sense that they could be right. And they've taken a step, as, as you mentioned with Beats, maybe maybe now. But, um, yeah, Apple, the, the Apple radio stuff has not caught on yet the way many feared. There's a new show on HBO last week tonight with John Oliver, uh, the British comedian who uh, was probably first came to fame in America on The Daily Show. It's a show on Sunday nights at 11 o'clock. Um, and he recently did a segment on net neutrality. And we will we will tweet out a link to the segment because it's now on YouTube. Um, and he... he I thought did a wonderful job of illustrating what he acknowledges almost from the get-go is a st- on paper a staggeringly boring topic net neutrality um but he concluded the segment by saying by encouraging people to go to the FCC website fcc.gov/comments to comment because net neutrality is is now in an open comment period um, and uh, I'm guessing he was pretty successful because the FCC, on their Twitter account, um, uh, basically acknowledged that they the, their site crashed because so many people were going to comment. Um, I was telling you guys before we started taping, I went to the website, I looked. They rank order because this is not the only issue that is available for public comment. So if you go to FCC.gov slash comments, you can see they rank order all of the items that are available to for individuals like you and me to comment on. And they rank them by how many comments there are. And at the moment, there are more than 45,000 public comments on the net neutrality issue. Whatever is the issue that is in second place has about 1,600 comments. And everything below that is like 125 and, and, and below. Uh, so – but it's, it's – I'll just admit, this is one of those topics that until I watch this segment – I didn't really fully understand it to the degree that I do now. And one of the things I thought he did a great job of was explaining that, look, on the, this really is a situation where you have all of these different groups that in some ways had been at odds with one another lining up together against the cable companies. So on one side, you've got Comcast, Time Warner Cable, Verizon, et cetera. And on the other hand, you have consumer advocacy groups lining up with monoliths like Google and Facebook and Netflix and Amazon. Who's going to win this battle? Well, a, I recommend that people watch it and not because they will get a, a necessarily fully informed 
um, picture of both sides of the debate. Uh, it's comedy. It was not meant to, you know, treat both sides equally, which is uh, I'm not going to feel obliged to do that either. Right. You know, what I mean, because <laughs> it's boring. To, you know, that's kind of the point, right? Of of the comedy is if you go through all the aspects, it's you fall asleep listening to it. Um, but you know, in terms of demonizing cable companies, something which I have uh, enjoyed doing. You know, every time the topic of Comcast comes up, um, I'm delighted uh, to, to demonize them. Um, uh, it, it's it's good. Good. By the fodder. way, you, you you say demonize cable companies as though they are consistently and have always been on the side of angels. You, I, you, I, I love doing it. What oh, do you mean? I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I not guess, I'm not griping. With I guess my point them. is not. Uh, is uh, I, I guess I'm, my, I'm just saying he's neither. He nor I are going to give you a full and fair, you know, s- story of both sides of this because I think there you're is not going to be an advocate for Comcast. I'm not going to be an advocate for Comcast. I, Comcast is going to have to find its own advocates, and maybe you. You you're, uh, you're, don't look don't look over here. You're, you're Canadian. You're very fair. <laughs> They're thankfully not up there. We have our, we have our own. DMs. Who's who? Yeah, who is the awful cable company? Rogers. Up there? Rogers. Oh, right, right. Yep. They got the big tower. And, yeah, and it's and like they evil. Own everything and yeah. And I have no choice. Yeah. So, you know, other than that, it's great. Uh, who's going to win? Uh, well, I, I think that the, one of the points that probably was most effective was, was bringing up to people who haven't been following it that the new uh, FCC chair is a former lobbyist for, you know, the cable companies. And that would seem to be a really useful person to have in that position if you're the cable companies. However, having brought this to light and having generated however many thousand comments there will ultimately be, uh, may you know may give him or or some of the other commissioners pause. It certainly look these comments can have effects, and the Motley Fool has taken its victory laps over the years for having generated comments to uh, the SEC about uh, one or, one or another rules and, and getting credit for that being enough to have swayed, you know, a, a deciding vote. So that could happen here. And, you know, you're not going to get the cable companies generating a comedian who produces <laughs> comments on their behalf. So it's going to be a very, very, very one-sided uh, story of, of comments there. And I think that that could could be important. When you look at this as an investor... Because as a consumer, I think all three of us are, are f- freely admit, yeah, the cable companies are evil. And by evil, <laughs> I don't mean like truly evil. I just mean they're just awful to deal with. They're they're monopolies, and and in my case, I have no you know. I guess my two choices are: I can have cable with Comcast, or I can not have cable at all. Um, but as an investor. I look at Comcast and I go, boy, there's a stock that's done really, really well. Guess what? Monopolies, they do really well. So is it like on any level, are you tempted? You're not a Comcast shareholder. No, no. I'm proudly from Philadelphia. and Comcast is probably the <laughs> uh, most successful Philadelphia-based <laughs> company of, of the last, I don't know, Couple hundred years, uh, so uh, aside from America takes, itself, <laughs> <laughs> democracy. Yes, also started in Philadelphia. So why? I mean, oh. it's not technically a company, so, although I so suppose you'd find some cynics who would say otherwise. So should we? I mean, should we? 
you know, should we just say, you know what? Comcast yeah. is a great investment. Yeah, I mean, I, I pay attention to the, you know, when you're treating it as an investment, look at the numbers and look at what it's been able to achieve. Look at the cash flows it generates and, and don't look at it from, you know, how much you hate dealing with their service technicians. The, the only, I mean, again, we don't have Comcast north of the border uh, where I am. It's Rogers Cable. And um, Rogers is, Cable is that a publicly traded company? It is not only a publicly traded company; it is a, I believe, a 2009 Motley Fool Income Investor recommendation by James Early, where the entire thesis of the investment is: James called me on the phone, asked me my opinion about Rogers Cable, and I hated the company so much I gave them two hundred dollars a month. So you go go read it. It's 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 funny. You know, it's like thanks, James. Yeah, yeah basically. I, that's the whole thesis. That's <laughs> that you know you are that, a customer. No, that people hate it and yet give them money. Uh, you know, and give them ever amounts of money, ever ever increasing amounts of money because they are happy or they they won't cut off their uh, their cable or their cell phone or what have you. And so, I I have cut my cable a number of years ago, and but I'm still a Rogers customer for my for my phone and for my internet. And you see the bill going up five to ten percent every year through some machination or whatever but my uh, and and so the only the only joy i have in dealing with a cable company is i actually am a shareholder of rogers <laughs> and that's the you know because you know yes my bill goes up t- 5 to 10% a year but so do my dividends from rogers and i own it and i'm happy with it and so yeah the only the only revenge you're going to get for the for for F- if if this goes through the net neutrality thing goes through is you know if you own Comcast at least you can benefit from getting hosed in some other aspect of your life I mean you mentioned lobbying on uh, the Pandora story but one of the tidbits of information that came up from the John Oliver piece was Comcast spent more money lobbying the federal government last year than any other company Except for one, and that was, I believe, Northrop Grumman, the mm-hmm. uh, the defense contractor. Um, so it's it is pretty interesting to see, you know, how this plays out. Because again, on the other side, you've got Google, Amazon, Netflix, Netflix. Facebook. These are these are not small companies. These are not uh, inconsequential companies. No, they've got they've got plenty of lobbying dollars, um, but. You know, the, when when one of the more successful Motley Fool driven, uh, you know, consumer responses to a, a rule uh, occurred, you know, Wall Street was very much on the other side and spent plenty, way, way, way more. You're talking about Regulation FD? Regulation FD, where the, the individual investors, the collective uh, lobbying dollars, I'm sure, was zero. Right. <laughs> and, and Wall Street was way more than zero. So, you know, the lobbying dollars matter. But uh, when uh, public eyes are focused on something, and I think that's part of Oliver's mm-hmm. point, is that it seems to be a really, really boring thing, but it will affect you as a consumer uh, at how this regulation plays out in terms not of like anything other than how many dollars you pay a month to the cable company. Uh, and, and, and Well, it, actually, that's not his point. His point is that, that uh, smaller companies will have less access Ultimately, to mm-hmm. compete, uh, so there is both the, the, where the dollar costs come from, which won't come directly from you, but from Netflix to the the company. So you'll be paying higher fees to Netflix um, and and others like it. Uh, but those that don't have the clout uh, and the dollars and the capital of Netflix are going to find it much much harder to compete with them. That's just one example, a very prominent one in terms of where 
speed is needed and where it does make sense for companies to pay for that speed, um, you know, much more so than, you know, text, which is really not affected much mm-hmm. by this at all. Uh, just a, a little bit more background for listeners who who uh, may not be familiar with regulation FD and the FD standing for fair disclosure. This is back in was it two thousand or two thousand one? I think it was two thousand nine. Was it ninety? Okay, so uh, the the SEC had proposed this radical rule that basically said public companies uh, the information they disclose should be fair, and by fair we mean. Everyone should get it at the same time. There should not be sort of this privileged group of insider Wall Street analysts that get it and then, oh, by the way, we'll, we'll release it to the public at a later date or a later time or that sort of thing. And I, I swear, this is one of those uh, motley fo- – and we got involved. Uh, and by say involved, I, I think we wrote a couple of articles – Mm-hmm. Included a link to the SEC comment section and just encourage people saying, "Hey, we, we at the Motley Fool we support fair disclosure. We think this is good for individual investors. And if you agree, um, click on you know click this link. You can go." And they got more comments on that proposed rule change than any other. Uh, Arthur Levitt, who was the chairman of the SEC at the time, p- publicly gave the Motley Fool credit um, uh, for uh, helping to rally support for this. Uh, but I swear it is one of those stories that, as there are people at the Motley Fool now who are much people in their twenties, when I tell them this story, they look at me like I'm insane. Like, like, wait, what do you, what do you mean there <laughs> the information were information always wasn't fair? Well, yeah, and what do you mean people on Wall Street were were lobbying against this? Like, like, how could that be? This is so on the face of it, purely logical and fair. Like, that's insane. It's like, well, yes, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course Wall Street lobbied against having insider access to information, to valuable information. Uh, They they should understand that part, even if they haven't reached the full cynicism that they'll develop in their (laughs) later years, you know. That the the three of us have achieved. All right, Bill Barker, Jim Gillies. Guys, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.